0: Uh, Hello everyone, welcome to the GCU Law Podcast. I'm your host Scott, the Project Manager of the Law Clinic and I'm joined today by Neil McKenzie at KC, the Convener of the Faculty of Advocates Free Legal Services Unit. How are you Neil? I'm very well, thanks Scott. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, As we all know this is pro bono week and that's what Neil's here to speak about but first of all we're just going to do a wee profile on Neil. So Would you be able to just talk us through a wee bit about your career today, such as your university and where you did your traineeship? Certainly.
1: Uh, I went to Edinburgh University, did an LLB honours there and then my diploma at Edinburgh. And then I started the Morton Fraser Partnership, as it then was, back in 1996, I think, uh, which was the last millennium. I did residential conveyancing, which I didn't like, and commercial conveyancing, which I didn't like. And then I went to civil litigation in my second year. And I loved civil litigation. Uh, I realized that you can either be a conveyancer or you can be a litigator. And I was clearly not a conveyancer. I I was threatened for my last seat, my last six months with going to wills, trusts and executories. And I elected not to do that. And I transferred to George Moore and Company, criminal defense solicitors where I spent my last six months of traineeship there in the sheriff courts, in the uh, JP courts and various things. I was doing trials from day three and uh, it was a fantastic training in how to handle myself in court. I I just had to be self-sufficient and self-reliant and I learned very quickly. Realising that I liked court work, I decided to go to the bar. I didn't know anyone at the bar, went without contacts. And in October 1998, yes, 25 years ago, I went to the faculty and uh, it was a brilliant experience. Um, the, the training involves nine weeks of classroom and then the rest of the time you spend with your devil master. Uh, And so I followed Rory Anderson and uh, Maggie Scott, now Lady Scott, around um, when I wasn't in classrooms. And I had a very, very good um, training as a devil. And then I called in uh, July 1999 and um, I spent the first six weeks doing absolutely nothing. Nobody wants to instruct me. Uh, And then gradually the work fairy visited my box. In those days, we literally had a wooden box in Parliament Hall um, in one of the corridors and a letter plopped in. And that that was me. I started and um, I had a very mixed practice to begin with. Uh, I would be doing civil debates one day in Airdrie Sheriff Court and the next day I would be doing um, criminal matters either doing some Crown Junioring, which is where you uh, do high court trials, uh, but you're you're really there to take notes and to help the advocate depute. Uh, or I would be doing ultimately criminal defence as well and criminal appeals following in Maggie Scott's footsteps. So that was all very good. Um, but then a time came when I had to choose. I couldn't do criminal and civil. The diary just wouldn't allow it. And I elected to do civil work. And since the mid-2000s, I've done civil work and I, I've done... Um, largely industrial disease cases, uh, asbestos mostly, and uh, medical cases. I was junior counsel for the defender for Lanarkshire Health Board in Montgomery against Lanarkshire Health Board. Not necessarily um, a triumph in terms of the defender, but uh, nonetheless, it, it was brilliant to be part of a, a, a case that shaped the uh, modern medical jurisprudence. Um, since then, I, uh, in December of two thousand and seventeen, I became Director of Training and Education at the faculty, so I was responsible for uh the devil the devils uh, and also for members' training so again, I learned very quickly uh, about teaching and various other things uh, and I got to teach abroad um, in advocacy training uh, in places like South Africa and Hong Kong and malaysia so uh, that that has been a, a brilliant um, facet. I stopped being director um, halfway through the pandemic. uh, I think that's about right. In um, 2021, I had taken silk in, so I'd become a KC in uh, 2019, in September 2019. And I felt that I'd done my bit uh, for training. And then in February 2022, I became the keeper of the Advocates Library. Previous keepers include David Hume, the philosopher, amongst others. Um, so that 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 was a real honour to be an office bearer. And uh, one of the, the roles that the keeper has, for reasons I'm not entirely sure about, uh, is that he's the convener of the Free Legal Services Unit. And as the convener of the Free Legal Services Unit, uh, I have the responsibility for making sure that, that the faculty's offering for pro bono runs well. Uh, I have carried out an organisational review and some organisational changes, and uh, I've also started various initiatives, and we'll probably discuss some of them in, in due course.
0: So, are you in charge of allocating pro bono cases to other advocates? Does that fall within your remit? We have uh, a,
1: a dedicated um, staff. Uh, they, they're called, it's like the old fashioned sounding, but they're not old fashioned at all, the Dean's Secretariat. <laughs> Um and um they are responsible for the day-to-day running of the faculty's pro bono unit, the FLSU. And what happens is uh, because we follow the model of the independent referral bar, we have to be instructed by someone to do something to advise and or represent somebody. So we have on the faculty's website, we have a list of accredited agencies, and those agencies may instruct um an advocate to do uh, a piece of work, advice and/or represent. Uh, so yes, yeah, so so the the work comes in to the accredited agency in the first instance. They then uh, get in touch with uh, Gaynor or or Katie in the free legal services unit, and they then send the case to a reviewer who is a senior counsel of uh, up to about five or six years seniority, and they then look at the case and see. Whether it's one that can be taken on, who might take it on, so which practice area, what level of seniority is required, and that sort of thing. And they give brief guidance as to as to what the case might involve and in then in the strategy for approaching it. So I get involved if there is a difficulty and I get involved at the strategic level as well.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So you're you're obviously a big contributor being involved in the faculty's legal service unit. Would you be able to talk us through why pro bono work is so vital to the legal profession?
1: Yeah, pro bono free legal services have been around in Scotland for about seven hundred years. Uh, in England, about the same. So, uh, if you look back to the Elizabethan statutes, and I'm talk- statutes, I'm talking about Elizabeth I, not the late Elizabeth II. But going back to Elizabethan times, there has been a need for lawyers to represent people who couldn't afford to pay for lawyers themselves. So it has been part of the the vocation of being a lawyer to do good works because we are not merely wage slaves. We are part of a profession. It's a higher calling. And I don't mean to sound pompous in any way, but whether you're a solicitor or an advocate, you are not just doing a job. You are providing a, a valuable professional service. And uh, that, that means helping people where they need it. Now, of course, everyone has to make a living and the the primary work that we do should be paid. But nonetheless, uh, th- there should be capacity to, to do pro bono work as well. So at the moment, there are largely three sectors that provide legal advice and representation or legal information advice and, and representation. There is the market. So you could go down the high street and or you could go to the city centres and you can see either very, very large offices, which are skyscrapers, or you can see much more traditional townhouses converted to law firms can go in and you can pay for those services. It may be that you don't go to the market. You could go and, and get advice and or representation from a legally aided source. So you've got the market, you've got the publicly funded lawyers and publicly funded lawyers include the government lawyers or the CLO the 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 health services lawyers or that sort of thing but legal aid has has crunched uh, certainly since the time i started and very much it's very much smaller than it was back in the in, in the post war years post second world war years so the market and publicly funded legal services cannot meet all the need that there is or legal information advice and representation and when you think how complicated and multifaceted life is whether you're navigating a website or whether you're getting benefits or whatever it almost whatever it is you seek to do you're going to come across the law in some shape or form and if you don't have the means to go to the market and if you, if you don't have the eligibility to get publicly funded legal uh, advice and a representation then you have to go to some sort of pro bono Outfit, if you want legal information, advice, or representation. So it is a vital service. And many law firms find that to comply with their corporate social responsibilities or ESG requirements, then they ought to provide pro bono services. So there so is, there's, there's uh, it's good marketing as well, nothing else. And very often a client will insist that a law firm has. A corporate social responsibility or an ESG offering before they instruct them before they go on their panel uh, to try and promote the good
0: works. So it's all about promoting access to justice and kind of is is sort of giving back to the community in a sense as well. It's both of those
1: things. It is both access to justice and giving back to the community. As I said, the access to justice does involve the market it involves publicly funded legal services and it involves pro bono matters so that 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 is a key part but then from the lawyer's point of view it is about giving something back academics like richard suskin talk about the grand bargain that professionals have made with the public in other words we have a position of privilege there's no doubt about it and trust but in response for for that we have to earn that trust and we also have to be worthy of the trust and uh, the the responsibility and part of that is uh, not just taking the cash it's also as you say giving something back and so i think that that is a vital part of being a legal profession
0: and are there any big challenges in both doing pro bono work and encouraging people to do pro bono work because obviously it's off your own back you're not getting paid for it
1: the history of pro bono is uh, cyclical it shows that there are times when pro bono people are prepared to offer their services more readily than others after the second world war for example there was a large amount of publicly funded legal aid uh, available and uh, that affected the need for pro bono there was much less need for pro bono but as the market and the the public legal services have essentially crunched in terms of what, what is offered then pro bono has become more important. I would say, and this is anecdotal, that the pandemic has had a big effect on all voluntary activities, um, and pro bono is no exception to that. People have got used to staying at home, not being part of something bigger than themselves, and they are, in my experience, much less likely to volunteer for things. And clearly something needs to be done about that because is a vital part of being a professional that we do volunteer for things, um, in my view. Uh, certainly in the faculty, it's part of the collegiality that we see each other, we are together. And being part of that makes it much more likely that you will volunteer. So I do think the pandemic has had a- an impact. Also, and I've I've talked about this before, there are gaps and overlaps and frictions in instructing pro bono work because you have motivated individuals, you have motivated organizations, but they're not coordinated into a sector, defined unified sector, and I'm not, not suggesting they should be, but because they're not, then you might have some geographical areas or some practice areas that are better represented than others. And uh, so that that's where the gap's creep in. So you might find that in some areas, there's very little pro bono geographically, or it might be that there are some practice areas where there's very little pro bono representation. Alternatively, you might have overlaps. So for example, you might find that there is more than one organization trying to meet the same demand in the same practice area in the same place. And that makes no sense. And then you have frictions, which is how difficult or how easy is it to find the pro bono information, advice or representation that you need. And I think a lot of pro bono organisations are out there but are difficult to find and to instruct. And again, that's anecdotal. But there are, as I say, gaps, overlaps and frictions in in, uh, the the pro bono sector.
0: So I think that takes us on quite nicely to this idea of having a data hub. Would that allow organisations to be more unified and figure out where resources need to be allocated?
1: That's clearly my view. Um, I, I don't think... That you can have an effective pro bono sector without data. I think that there requires to be data, but you, you are looking then at small charitable organizations who are struggling for resources, whether that is grant funding or, or whatever or other donations. Uh, they are probably struggling with employing people and they're up against it in terms of time and workload. And how are they going to then cope with the extra responsibility, the extra burden of collecting data, of analyzing data and of of using that data effectively? People struggle with data. Data is, is not, if you like, self-evidently a good thing unless until it's been properly handled because data on its own is indigestible and it can even lead to harm if you don't analyze it properly. So my view is that a data hub of some sort that is operated by somebody who knows what they're doing, so there's reliable data and that it is reliably analysed and used, um, that, that is imperative. And it's, it's early stages, but uh, there is at least a discussion to be had about whether an organisation like the Scottish Government might be able to help with that. Nothing has been finalised or achieved in that regard yet. But I'm hopeful that there may be a third party outside or sitting above the pro bono sector who is able to host this hub and to get a better oversight of the gaps, the overlaps and the frictions. I just don't see how the faculty's offering can be optimised unless and until we we
0: have a better visibility of, of the sector. I think finally we'll go and speak about the pro bono guides. This is something that's being launched on the pro bono week website this week. To mark pro bono week would you be able to give us an oversight into what this guide will cover and how it will be of use to the pro bono community? pro bono week
1: is a brilliant initiative it's uk wide although it's called pro bono week their website is up all year and I had a look at their at the, the the guide to pro bono and other free advice in England and Wales and was frankly amazed by how much effort had been put into that pro bono guide it deals with what's on offer generally, and then by practice areas. So whether that's housing or debt or benefits or whatever, uh, these things are all catered for in what is a thoroughly comprehensive and comprehensible and up-to-date guide. And because we are a devolved uh, administration in Scotland, we have our own legal system and we have our own devolved government, then I figured that it was necessary to have a Scottish focus as well. So along with the Law Society and with Just Right Scotland, uh, the, the, the legal advice and representation charity, we have put together a first go at a guide to pro bono and other free advice in Scotland. And that will be hosted, I'm delighted to say, on the pro bono website, sitting alongside the guide for England and Wales. And it is at an early stage. We put a lot of work into it, but it will need to be built on by motivated people in the sector. So people who say, well, wait a minute, why am I not in it? Well, I want them to come to initially the email address on the pro bono guide and say, well, we want to be in it. And then we can start to populate much, much more specific guidance within it about where to find particular services. So the use of the guide is partly for those operating in the pro bono sector. So it will, if you like, coalesce all the people who operate in particular practice areas, or maybe even particularly geographical areas in uh, one place. And that focuses the mind. It also helps MPs and MSPs uh, who may have constituents who come to them for help. And they can say, well, if you've got this help with debt or whatever it is, then I suggest you go to this organization. uh, And and then that helps them. And finally, it helps those who are looking for advice, those who have a need and who need information, advice, or representation to find that in one place. Now, the guide and the data are, if you like, two sides of the same coin, because they are all about improving the offering that is there, making the pro bono information, advice, and representation easier to find. And then the data is a better way of of organizing the services on offer. So I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, thank you, Neil. You've been fantastic today. You've provided great insight into pro bono, which is at the heart of everything we do, the GC Law Clinic. It sounds like this guide and the data hub will really help to promote access to justice and help to make pro bono work a bit more accessible for people and also vitally make resources allocated in a better way. Yeah, certainly hope so. We'll we'll, we'll (laughs) keep our efforts up in that regard. Fantastic. Right. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Neil. I'll let you go. I know you're a busy man. So.
1: Great. Well, lovely talking to you today. Thank
0: you.